Ah, and last but not least, we have the thing that I was talking about for these past few weeks. I finally put it into uh, podcast format, which is my view of the world order returning to the way it once was. And um, to cut to the chase here, I'm talking about the pre-Columbus era of geopolitics, where you had the East, the wealthy, the prosperous East, producing all these riches, these spices, these metals, and these necklaces, all these these riches from the East that would make their way over from China, from India, from Indonesia, from Japan, make their way gradually westwards towards the Middle East, who could get them, who could get these items on the cheap, because they lived in proximity to one another. And then, as they trickled their way towards the West, you had the Middle East, the Muslims, imposing these massive, ta- these massive tariffs, these these uh, markups, I should say, not tariffs, these markups on the goods as they made their way towards the Europeans, and the Europeans just got the short end of the stick. Combine that with religious and ethnic tensions between the Arabs, the Muslim Arabs, and the Christian Europeans. Uh, Europeans, not necessarily an ethnicity, but there's a lot of ethnicities in Europe. You have a recipe for conflict that sort of played itself out for hundreds of years, a, a, very, a very, very long time in Europe with Europe on the back foot for a good deal of that time. I mean, the Ottomans were constantly pushing in to Europe before they made their expansions into the Middle East, they were eating away at the, what remained of the Byzantine Empire. And you had the the Caliphate of Cordoba, I believe. Actually, let me look it up. I believe I'm correct, but there was a Muslim invasion of Spain. Well, the Iberian Peninsula, but Spain is the biggest. So, And there was a Caliphate there. It wasn't supposed to be a caliphate. It sort of declared itself independent of the other caliphate. And so there was a sort of tension there. But as far as everyone else was concerned, all the Europeans were concerned, uh, this was a problem. Because they were being pressed on all sides by the Muslims, and then you had a, a number of pirates, Muslim pirates, operating in the Mediterranean. Now, it wasn't just Muslim pirates, to be fair, but... They, they were the most prominent during this period of time. And there was a real sense that the Europeans might actually be wiped out by the, uh, the onslaught of the Muslims. And this is after having to deal with the occasional horde coming out of what is modern-day Russia every now and then. It was a lot to deal with. It was a whole lot to deal with. And the Europeans, the West at that time, because they didn't know about the Americas, the West was on, I don't know how else to say, but to get, they had the shortest end of the shortest stick. And they could only fantasize about the riches of the East. And they desired the riches of the East. They desired to be able to have the riches of the East, the East being China, India, Indonesia, Japan and the various uh, islands and city-states that prospered during that period of time, not without their problems, not without their own conflicts, but general prosperity. They were on the upswing in history. 
And the Middle East was able to ride that upswing to have their own moment to shine as well. But then the West being pushed to the extreme after the, uh, uh, they, they began to push back. They began to push back. You get the Spanish Inquisition, one of the biggest events there. And later on, you have the second siege of Vienna being broken by a coalition force, namely of the mainly with the, the Polish, with their cavalry charge, one of the biggest in history. And that sort of reversed the trend of the Europeans constantly being put on the back foot by the Arabs and the Muslims. And you even had the rise of the Tsardom of Russia, push, pushing them in the Caucasus and in the Black Sea and in eventually Central Asia as well. You had a, a sort of massive pushback from the West, courtesy of Spain, courtesy of Poland, and eventually the Austrians who began to expand in the Balkans, courtesy of the Russians as well. These are the, the big three biggest pieces of that sort of pushback. And then, of course, you have Spain discovering the New World and the Portuguese circumnavigating and going around Africa to tap the markets of the East directly. And it was so expensive by the time it made its way to Europe by land, those those goods, that even the really, really expensive voyage around Africa towards these ports in the East, even that really expensive trip cut prices down by half or more in Europe when you brought the spices and the, and the, the riches back. But given a number of demographic trends that we see today, and a number of economic trends as well, it looks like we're going back to that period of time in, in a sort of a, a, a history rhyming kind of way. It's not going to be exactly the same. Heck, it might not even come to pass, but given what we're witnessing, I think something similar to that might arise. The world order returning to the way it was pre-Columbus, pre-Spanish Inquisition, certainly. And that is due to, again, demographic and economic numbers. And I'll just sort of dive into this with populations of the Middle East. They've been on the rise for quite some time. And I have on a few occasions listed off the numbers of some of these countries, and they have shocked me. Uh, I, who would have guessed that 85 and 89 million people would be living in Turkey and Iran, respectively? For reference, there are about 81 million Germans living in Germany. 81. That's the biggest country in Europe, aside from Russia, who has 145 million Soon to be expanded, but I'll get into them in a minute. So 80 million. A single country in Europe has 80 million people. Yet you have Turkey with 85, Iran with 89. You have Egypt with 100 million people, 109 million to be exact. And then you have an honorable mention being Ethiopia with another 120 million people. What's the population of Sudan? Let's let's grab them as well while we're at it. Population. 45 million living in Sudan. Actually, that's, yeah, that's 2021. So that, that's Ukraine, essentially. An entire Ukraine living in Sudan. 
except there's slightly more people living in Sudan than in Ukraine. So with just a handful of the major Middle Eastern states, you see a massive difference in the populations. You see all of them on par, if not far surpassing the population of Europe's second most populous country. The Obviously the number one being Russia. But if we're talking averages, if we're talking generalities, the Middle East has Europe downpacked in terms of population, especially once you consider the drop off you get once you go past Germany, because there's already nearly a, a there's already a 60 million something drop off from Russia to Germany. And then there's a, a 20 million drop off once you get to France and Britain. Once you get to France and Britain. The, I mean, honestly, it's really big. And these numbers do surprise me. And on occasion, I'll say, oh, if this coalition of countries got together, it'll be bad news for Israel. And I'll try to I'll apply it in a specific context when I'm speculating. But now that I'm speculating on the broader geopolitical consequences of this rise, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Of course, if you're if you're in the Middle East, it's about damn time. You, you have your turn after being bombed and subjugated for a few hundred years. It's about damn time. So it's going to be good for them and not so good for other people. But uh, for me, uh, I live over here, so it really doesn't matter to me. <laughs> but now that we take these numbers and look at the broader geopolitical context of them, again, and there, there are a number of other factors beneath the surface that could change this outcome and make it so that it's not necessarily the way things actually end up being. You can look at where the food is grown, uh, where things are produced, technology, etc. But when we look at population, when you look at the rising economies and the integration of the Middle Eastern world to China's Belt and Road and the, the creation of a, a new world, the multipolar world, and a lot of countries hitching their wagon to it, and you combine that with the decline of the West, you see at the very least a relative rise in the power of the Middle East. So if you pair that, you, you we're looking at the Asian century where China, India, and a number of other countries are gonna have a, the best of times. They're, they're getting wealthy. They're manufacturing things, they're producing, they're, they're getting wealthy. They have their own demographic issues, so it might not be exactly the same again it's a history rhyming type of thing rather than an exact replica. But with the Middle East, you have rising economies and rising populations at a time when the East is doing as good as it's been doing for quite some time and the West starting to fall off. You have a recipe for a return to the pre-inquisition status quo. Like there's 35 million people in Saudi Arabia, 43 million people in Iraq, 43 million people in Iraq. France had 45 million people at the beginning of World War One, and today they have around 68 million. Now, although a significant portion of that are non-ethnic French people, but yeah, it's it's a really big growth in the population in the Middle East because you're talking France goes from 45 million to 68 million, which is largely supplemented 
well, not largely, but a good contingent of that is supplemented with immigration. And then you see Iraq, who went from three, oh, uh, not, not, they went from three million in 1914. France was at 45 million. Iraq was at three million in 1914. And now they went from 3 million to 43 million. They've added 40 million people. France has added 23 million. And 3.7 million of those are verified migrants since the migration crisis hit from the Syrian civil war. So you're looking at a French population of around 65 million. Assuming that we only go with those numbers and there's people that come by boat and they don't necessarily get uh, registered or counted, but 65 million French is still a, a solid number. And France is technically one of the only countries in Europe that still has a, a positive demography where their, their population isn't inverted, where you have so few births that you're going to end up with more uh, retirees than young people. So that will give France a better position relative to the other Europeans. And the Swedes are in a similar position. But the rest of Europe has inverted population pyramids. The rest of Europe is going to be experiencing population declines in the coming years and decades. The Middle East is still rising. The Middle East has already caught up and surpassed Europe in population. Well, a a good number of their major states have, I'll say that much, the Middle East is does have a number of smaller states. The Europeans do have a lot of people spread out a lot across a lot of different countries. I mean, Poland has like 30 something million. Spain has 30 million. So while the populations are much more spread out in Europe, they're falling. And then you have the Middle East that have these super states that have these massive populations and their populations are still rising. It's, it's a lot. Spain has 47 million. Italy has 60 million. But if their populations are falling while the populations of the Middle East are rising, well, that means that you don't just have a rise in the relative strength of the Middle East compared to Europe, compared to the West, but you have a rise in the absolute strength of the Middle East compared to the West. Now, again, you do have similar population uh, collapses going on are about to go on in the East. So how that will affect this dynamic is going to be interesting to see. But this is a dynamic that I haven't seen quite a, haven't seen quite fleshed out in any major discussion. And heck, uh, I've overlooked it myself for quite a while even though I've looked at the numbers on multiple occasions, but if the populations of the Middle East are rising and the, the economies of the Middle East are rising and the West is stagnating and declining, there, we're about to see massive population declines as the boomer generation retires and then eventually they move on and they will pass away. People don't live forever. If the majority of your population is is in the oldest demographic and they start to pass away just due to old age and due to medical complications and whatnot, what have you, your population is going to fall a lot faster than you can replace it, especially if people aren't having kids like they used to. 
we're going to see a pre-Spanish Inquisition era of geopolitics sort of return to the fray. Like, you're going to have this massive wealth of the East rebuilt through China's industrialization and through the gradual Indian industrialization as well. Japan is already a high-tech economy. They're going to be going through population stagnation and a much more slow motion decline, mind you. So the possibility for Japan to recover is actually greater for uh, than a lot of other countries. And they start, they're starting with 100 million people. Now, a lot of them, a lot of them are much older. And people do have really, really long lifespans in Japan. But Japan has a sort of population pillar rather than an inverted pyramid. They still have the potential for a comeback. Whereas you look at, say, Thailand or Korea or China, and it's an upside down pyramid, you're going to see massive population declines, but you don't see those inverted pyramids in the Middle East. Which suggests, although you do have still falling birth rates and fertility rates, they still have lots of room to grow before they even hit stagnation. And if everyone around them is going to be shrinking, with the exception potentially of India, although they too have falling birth rates, it's a global phenomenon, these falling birth rates. A number of countries are doing something about it. But if everyone else is declining while the Middle East is still rising, that's going to mean a massive increase in the relative power of the Middle East. And eventually you're going to have financial interests relocating to where the growing markets are. It's going to be the Middle East. It's going to be Africa. And Africa, while it's going to be nice for them, it's going to be better for the Middle East. The Middle East is going to have one hell of a century. And especially when you compare that with these peace deals going on throughout the region, the instability of the Middle East is being dealt with. So you're going to have stability in a region that has been synonymous with instability for a few dec for decades now. Now, granted, we were the ones who caused that instability, but you have stability in the Middle East, rising populations in the Middle East, and they're linking up with the Belt and Road for industry and infrastructure to accelerate the process of economic growth and economic integration with one another. You're going to get a massive amount of wealth being generated from this region. Stability combined with infrastructure and business and security, because eventually the United States is going to be forced out by the Great Depression. And you have, you have security, which will also be provided in part by the Russians. The Middle East is going to be on the rise. They're going to be on an incredible rise. And after the decades of warfare that have been waged by us in their lands, they're not going to be fighting each other for a, at least a few decades. So you're going to have a period of population growth combined with a period where everyone is on the same page in favor of peace. It's going to be a massive growth for the Middle East. It's going to be a massive growth in the influence of Islam. And that's going to have impacts and ramifications on the, the wider world especially in Europe where they've imported large numbers of people of this background who are Muslims, who are from this region, 
who still hold greater affinity with that region than they do with their new host countries, that's going to be, we might see a, a lot of problems in Europe stem from that. That's not to say that these people are necessarily bad. It's just to say that it, they're, them being in Europe at a time of European population collapse is not exactly going to be a best a good combination for them. We pretend that history is this nice thing. It's not. It's really not. And I don't. I don't underestimate the possibility that a lot of tragedies will come from the response, the backlash politically to decline. Countries really don't handle decline very well. If you can look no further than the United States, countries don't handle decline very well. And no country in the West is even contemplating or trying to curb their declines. Like Britain had an opportunity with Brexit to go renegotiating deals and getting deals with every country around the world. They could have been Singapore and the Thames. That's what they should have done. They've instead squandered their time trying to get a deal with the entity that they just seceded from. Instead of building trade relations with the rest of the world. So now they will share the fate of Europe living in poverty, in, in increasing poverty, mind you, as the wealth dwindles and the population dwindles and you're importing more and more people and the very ethnicity, the identity of the nation states of Europe will be called into question as their populations are fading and they're importing people from foreign lands. There will be a political backlash to this and some of these countries are going to get brutal. There is going to be violent reactions to what is happening right now in Europe. Europe is going to go back to being the Europe we know. Well, not the Europe that we know. We grew up with Europe that is peaceful. I mean the Europe that the history books know. That's the Europe that we're going to see in response to decline. So it's not just the story of the rise of the Middle East. It's going to be the story of the decline of the West. Now, when I say the decline of the West, back down to the bottom of the totem pole, which is where they were at uh, in the pre-Spanish Inquisition era, and heck, even for a period of time after the Spanish Inquisition, they, they, were, they, ha they were having a, a moment to shine. But it wasn't until the discovery of the New World that you get these the Europeans expanding into superpowers of their day. But with, in the pre-Columbian world, that we're, that we're moving into. The Europeans are, gonna, are not going to respond to that very well. And you're going to have a struggle by many Europeans over the existence of their ethnicity. And in that environment, tolerance does not win. It's intolerance, particularly intolerance of races. I think that that is something we're going to see in Europe. But when I talk about the decline of the West, it's important to note of number of exceptions france again has still a a healthy demographic a healthy demography their population is still growing sweden still has a healthy demography i think britain might although recent numbers i've been listening to the podcast lotus Eaters, and they were talking about it i think that their good demography period has sort of passed and they're either in the stagnation period or they're now in decline. Uh, so they're going to be dealing with that. Ireland has some time to figure that thing out. But you're going to have France bucking the trend, potentially, depending on how, many of the, how much of the fertility rate is coming from their immigrant population versus ethnic French. 
We don't really know. You have the Swedes who are bucking the trend. But then you have the big boys. You have Russia and America. Uh, and Hungary is trying to buck the trend as well, although they still have a long ways to go before their their populations can grow in a healthy rate again. But the big boys to look out for, the big exceptions are going to be the United States and Russia. When we talk about the decline of the West, when you hear others talk about the decline of the West, think you have to take into account these exceptions. Because the United States has a much better demography than the rest of Europe. And by itself has 300 and something million people. So without the West, the United States is still a great power. The United States is still a massive economy. The United States still has a massive army. We don't need it. We have it. <laughs> the United States is still an innovator. The United States still has lots of business. The United States still has lots of young people. And even though our latest generation is still smaller than ever, the drop off between, say, the size of the Generation Z and the size of the millennials is not nearly as big as the drop off you see between the generations in other countries. It were still a sort of chimney, if you will. The United States by itself is a great power. Any European nation by themselves is at best a regional power. And they're in decline already. So you will see greater attempts at European solidarity. And these attempts in an era where the Europeans are fighting for their sovereignty and their existence as ethnicities, that solidarity might just be broken in favor of, well, I have to look out for my own people. So when we talk about decline, you have to exclude the United States. But I also say, even though Russia's demography is pretty bad, they, they, they have massive population decline built into their uh, future as well. Or do they? You see, Russia is perhaps the only country in Europe actively resisting decline. And I would even go as far as to say that they are resisting that decline successfully. You have the annexation of Crimea, that's two million people. You have the current, you have the Union state with Belarus, which was actually put forth by Belarus and has since been taken advantage of by Russia under Putin. And now Belarus being left with no options after the attempted coup against him in 2020, he, he has to throw all his cards in with Russia, especially now with the war in Ukraine and the West hardening against anybody who isn't on board with Ukraine, Belarus in particular. He has, a, he has Belarus has no choice. Lukashenko has no choice but to throw his lot in with Russia. So when the Union state is completed and Belarus is formally integrated into Russia, that's 10 million people. You, if Russia completes its annex, depending on how far Russia goes in Ukraine, if they stop the war now, they're already looking at an additional 5 million people. Well, actually 8 million because there were 3 million Ukrainian refugees that went to Russia. And then between the territories of Crimea, Kherson, Zaporizhia, Luhansk, and Donetsk, that's 5 million people. So 5 million plus the 3 million refugees to Russia, that's 8 million. The Russians have already bolstered their population by 8 million people. So the 145 million that they had, well, bump that up by 8 
So now they're at 153. They are the only populate. They are in the only country in Europe whose population is going to be going up during this period. And depending on how far into Ukraine they go, they could add another seven million people to their ranks. If they go for the total annexation of Ukraine, we could be looking at potentially half of Ukraine's pre-war population being added to Russia. Uh, again, uh, I think a lot of people are going to flee. There's the possibility that they do the partition thing that we talked about earlier on the episode, uh, earlier on in the episode, excuse me. But we're looking at Russia integrating another 50 to 20 million people from Ukraine, maybe even 30, depending on how far west they go and depending on how many people stay. Because a lot of people that left aren't going to come back, so it's really about those that stay. We could be looking at a Russian population expanded just off the war in Ukraine by 15 to 20 or 30 million people. And the 15 million alone would put Russia, without Belarus, it would put Russia at 160 million people. You add Belarus to that, that's 170 million. So any decline that you see beyond that point is going to be taken off the top of Russia's gains rather than from what Russia started with. If Russia goes up to 170 or even 180 million people through the creation of the Greater Russian Federation, and then they lose half that population through demographic decline, well, guess what? You you started with 145 million, you went up to 170, and now you're down to only, you're down to only what? What is that? A uh, hundred, just about a hundred million. You're down to only 85 million. Oh, wow. You're at Germany's pre-decline population level. And then what of Germany? They start off with 81, not even 82 million people. If they lose half that, they're below France in 1914. They're at 42. They're at 41 million people. They're at 40 million people. Well, we don't know how far this is going to go. We just know that we're going to see some massive drop-offs in European populations. And if the Russians are expanding their numbers right now, and then they go through the decline, well, they're going to be starting from a much higher point, which means that in relative terms, they're going to be doing, they're, ugh, they're going to be doing a lot better. Plus, Russia has direct access to the Middle East and the East. They've built up alliances in the Caucasus. They've built up alliances in Central Asia. They built up a strategic partnership with China. They have the BRICS with China, India, Brazil, and South Africa. They're a member of OPEC+. Plus. They're a massive energy exporter, both oil, natural gas. They're a massive commodities exporter. You're talking minerals, iron, iron, coal. <laughs> You're talking nickel, uh, lots of minerals and metals that they produce. They produce a lot of lumber. They produce a lot of physical goods that other countries need. And then on top of that, there are major agricultural power. And with the annexation of lands in Ukraine, they're going to be an even bigger agricultural power. With the annexation of Ukraine, they're going to have access to more natural gas resources in the Black Sea. With the annexation of Ukraine, they're going to have access 
to, again, depending on how far west they go, they're going to have access to the rare earth deposits of western Ukraine, which will make them a major player in the chip industry and will allow them a, the creation of uh, their own domestic chip industry. But at the very least, the access to the rare earth will make them a major player in high-tech industry as a whole. Because it's not just chips that need the rare earth, it's high-tech. So Russia is poised through geographic expansion, through the population expansion that will come through that physical expansion of the Russian border, from the, th from the resources and the minerals and the materials that they export to the resources and agricultural lands that they will gain through the annexation of large parts of Ukraine and the alliances that they've built and the partnerships and the, the organizations that they're working with, Russia has set themselves up to being a very great power, perhaps not a superpower, but a great power and a very, very, a highly influential great power at that. They have set themselves up for success even in the event, in the events of demographic decline. They are the only Western country actively resisting decline. Aside from aside from the United States, obviously. Now, granted, U.S. decline is also going to be a, a matter of overseas commitments. Our decline is going to be measured in how many overseas commitments that we fall back on. But no one's pressing the American border, aside from the illegal immigrants. And we already have a guy running for office who's going to deport them. <laughs> who's going to deport them. So that's going to get dealt with. And then that same guy is talking about a baby boom in the United States. Who else is talking about boosting the population of their domestic peoples? Hungary, Viktor Orban is talking about it. Oh, and Russia. Russia is talking about boosting their populations and is actively trying to do that. So Russia and the United States are going to be the only Western countries actively, and I believe successfully, resisting decline. And if anything, they will see even better positions in the world stage. They will be the exceptions that prove the rule of the decline of the West. Because, And I have to make these exceptions because when we talk about the West, people generally exclude Russia and include the United States. But in the world that we're looking at, when we talk about Western decline, when we talk about the fall of the West and the inevitable books that will be written on the fall of Western civilization, we're not going to be talking about the United States. We're not going to be talking about Russia. They're, they're gonna be, there's going to be a chapter on Russia, sure, when they, these books get published, and they will be very interesting pieces of literature to read when, in about 20, 40 years when the demographic decline really does hit and we're starting to see little snippets of it. We're starting to see hints of it as we enter into the 2020s and as the boomers start to retire and as the falling birth rate starts to catch up with us. But Russia's going to be a major player. They're going to be a major power for decades. And if they are successful in getting their birth rates up, then their recovery is going to start earlier for Russia than it will for other countries. And then they have, on top of that, they have more room to fall because of the, the actions that they're taking now. Again, I expect at least 15 million people added to Russia's population by the end of the war in Ukraine. 
and then another 10 million from Belarus, putting Russia, contemporary Russia, at roughly where it was at the beginning of World War One. They actually had a larger population back then than they do now. Their, ter- their territory was bigger back then. But that's a major gain. They're the only ones who will see major gains like that. No one else in the West, aside from maybe the United States through domestic birth rate increases, because uh, we're already sort of at stagnation right now. And so now we're watching as the conservatives, the people who have kids in the United States, sort of slowly overtake the liberals. So that's already happening in the United States. We're already on track for population growth in the not too distant future just due to our own demographic trends being ahead of the Europeans in that regard. And because there's a lot more people here, so the, the turnover can happen a lot faster. But with Russia, they're the only ones who are going to see double-digit increases, and we're talking in millions. They're the only other Western country who's going to see double-digit increases by the millions of their population. Everyone else is going to see double-digit declines in the millions in terms of their population unless you don't even have double digits to begin with i mean if you have 10 million people you you can't lose double digits you you wouldn't exist <laughs> we're going to see massive fall a massive fall off in the western population and that by itself might destroy this idea of western solidarity because then it's every man for themselves there's again there's going to be attempt perhaps in that environment the eu will thrive and will be successful in convincing other european nations to band together and form a united states of europe but even with the united states of europe if all of europe is in decline well good luck doing anything useful on the world stage but that's the nature of the west Russia can be a great power on its own. The United States can be a great power on its own. But it takes all the Europe combined to be a great power. Especially if you're talking on the level of the United States, China, and Russia. Or India. India's rising. Brazil's rising. The Middle East is rising. And we might end up in a situation where the rising populations of the Middle East force people who will feel overcrowded to start moving into other areas of the world. And if at that moment in time, Europe is depopulated and has large contingents of ethnic Arabs or other ethnicities within the Middle East who are Muslims and who are welcoming towards more people from that region that they came from moving in, you're going to have a de facto colonization of Europe. It'll be different from the olden days where you just have a a nomadic people just walk in and then they'd start beating you with a club if you tried to do anything about it. So it's a different type of migration that you're dealing with. But you could see the erasure of entire societies and of entire ethnicities. Like we take for granted today that the ethnicities we are familiar with are going to be there tomorrow. But when you look back on history, it's often a study of peoples and cultures and ethnicities in entire genealogies that do not exist today certainly not in any meaningful number i mean who remembers uh, again who remembers the crimean tatars who remembers uh who were they 
who remembers the Gauls? The Goths, that's who they were. Who, re who remembers the Goths? I don't remember them. Who remembers the Etruscans? Who remembers any of the minor peoples in history, the footnotes in history? We don't remember them. There were a great many peoples in Central Asia that just get wiped out from time to time every time a horde comes along and eviscerates everything that they have. Who remembers those people? No one. <clears throat> what happened to the Minoans? No one knows. What happened to the Seljuks? The people, the, the Turks that were in there before Turkey. Who, what happened to the Seljuks? They're gone. Oops. Where did these people go? There are ethnicities, whole ethnicities, that are missing from the gene pool right now. And we don't even think about it. But we take for granted the idea that the ethnicities we see today are still going to be there tomorrow. But with demographic declines like this, and I don't think the declines themselves are going to be the extinction event. I think what happens after. Because you, you, you can have decline. But if you have decline and then you suffer some some catastrophe that wipes you down to like a million people left, well, congratulations, you're conquerable now. You don't have a country now. You you are you exist on paper. And especially if you're dealing with large numbers of foreign populations living in your country. Again, I think the European reaction to the current open borders uh, status quo is going to be very violent because it will have to be in order for them to continue to exist as ethnicities. And some people might not make it. I'm looking at the Balkans. The Balkans, Balkan nations that already aren't starting off with large populations, these demographic declines might be fatal for them. The Balkans, the Baltics even, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, if their populations are falling and then they have an enlarged Russia living next to them, who's to say that they don't just russians don't just move into the territory and that their reprisals against russia to try to preserve their own control over their own land uh, i'm talking on the part of lithuanians latvians estonians to keep themselves as the majority population in their own countries as the population falls and falls and falls and the, if they get aggressive towards the russian populace in an era where Russia is going to be much, much more sensitive towards the existence of its own population, even the diaspora outside of Russia, you could end up with a war where these countries get annexed, and then that's it. Now the Russian populace can move in and eat up your land. Russia's the only country, aside from the United States, that's going to see growth, that's going to see its position improve, or at a bare minimum, again, like the United States, stagnate from a very high position. Russia's already very high up there on the totem pole of great powers, as is the United States. Even when you contend with challengers like India, Indonesia, Nigeria, and the Middle East, Turkey, Iran, Egypt, Arabia. These are the major players. But guess who's still going to be on the major players list? It's going to be United States and Russia. The rest of the West can't say that. Canada can't say that. Their population is going down. Australia and New Zealand, they can't say that. 
their population is going down. Now, Australia and New Zealand have the benefit of being islands with strict immigration policies. So they're in much less of a danger of being overwhelmed by some foreigner moving in than the Europeans. Granted, being an island hasn't stopped the British from a self-inflicted wound. But at the very, but again, again, Australia and New Zealand aren't, aren't just islands. They're really far out of everyone else's way. Now, if they start opening up the border to Indonesia, they might have a, that might be a, a different story. If they start opening up the border to Chinese migration. That, that'll be a different story. If they open up the border to India, that's a different story. They're living next door to really, really, really populous countries. So their existence in a, in a world where their population has declined significantly, they could sabotage themselves with an open borders policy. I'll just say that much. But out of all the Western world, out of the West, that being Europe, the Anglosphere, the United States, Russia and the United States are going to be the only ones not included when we talk about the decline of the West. So in this pre, pre-Inquisition era that we're looking at coming into being, where the Middle East is potentially even on top rather than just in the middle with the east on top and then the middle east is in the middle the middle east in the middle and then the europeans are at the bottom of the totem pole the Euro- the middle east might actually end up being on top with the population declines in the east to when you factor those in and the rising population of the middle east the rising influence of islam there will be holy wars and those wars if they're waged against the europeans will be wars of survival for the europeans Will they survive? We don't know. We don't know. But we're looking at uh, this catastrophic fall off of the human population, courtesy of people not having kids for an extended period of time. And that's going to lead to a rise in the Middle East and a fall in the West, the US and Russia excluded, and the rest of continental Europe is going to be fighting for their survival. It'll be very interesting it'll be tragic to watch granted it'll be tragic but you know i can i can shed a tear from this side of the ocean and perhaps perhaps if the europeans realize what they're dealing with that is collapse and decline instead of sort of ignoring the decline in favor of banning together with western solidarity to ward off decline if they realize they're in decline, they can do something about it. The Russians have taken action. So the Hungarians have taken action. The Swedes took action. The French uh, are probably taking action, maybe. So once you notice the decline, you start to get people calling for action, and eventually that will get you action. So perhaps the decline is not necessarily an inevitability. Although, uh, well, a, a perpetual decline is not an inevitability. The decline is sort of baked in. It's a, it's a bit late in the process it's a bit late in the game for the europeans but it's not too late it's not too late but yeah that is a a very interesting very interesting observation i have made with regards to the populations and i get i haven't quite determined whether or not i believe africa is going to have the greatest century or not that i'll just have to observe them Africa is a, a bit of a wild card for me, uh, as I am not too well versed on my African history, uh, so I can't make uh, 
pretty solid judgments that and the geography of Africa works against everyone living in Africa. So we'll have to wait and see. But I think that we're going to be seeing not the Eastern century, not the Asian century, but the the Arab century. That's what I think we're going to be seeing. That's going to be good news for a lot of people and bad news for a whole lot of other people. But I will digress as that is all I have for you today. I do hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast on my extended geopolitical podcast. These, these trends are something. These trends are something. We see the world changing before our very eyes. And sometimes we can see it and don't even get the whole picture until sometime later on when the picture becomes so obvious you feel goofy for not seeing it earlier. But... However these things happen, however these things play out, we'll have fun watching these changes together. Now, I've been your host, Haishan Wade, and you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So, till we meet again next Monday, servus. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.